Yep, it's the Jeremy Webisodes Podcast. Here we go! Skiddly diddly biddly diddly biddly biddly hiddly biddly fiddly biddly biddly diddly biddly diddly diddly biddly boop. Whoa. Scene. Okay. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is, in fact, the Jeremy Webisodes podcast, webisode number 70, if you can believe it. Uh, and I am here in the lab alone right now, but never fear, the lava lamp is, in fact, burning brightly in the window as a beacon for all the lost souls in the world. May they find their way home. And I found my way into the lab a little early tonight, so I thought I'd kick things off. We're going to do things a little differently. Um, we're in the kitchen all day today, and so uh, we're going to talk about that a little later in the show after we uh, actually do some cooking and some eating. But uh, I thought I'd take the opportunity this morning to uh, to give a little lesson, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, you know, this show uh, has kind of... Uh, had several iterations of itself, but um, it, it started out, uh, at least this second time around, the 2.0, uh, very uh, booze-centric. Um, we are building a distillery here. Uh, for those of you who are paying attention, we're building a distillery, brewery, restaurant here um, in the building, and uh, and so we do a, a lot of sampling of both uh, beverage and food here, and so we talk a lot about that, um, among other things. We like to keep you know keep it funny, um, and so we we do let the topics vary. But uh, I, I do you know like to have some aspect of the show be a a, a teaching or a learning uh, ap- aspect. Not that I want to preach, but that you know th- that this can be uh, a place that um, that the listenership can come and uh, not only plan on having a couple laughs, but also hopefully, you know, every now and then walk away um, with a little extra knowledge in their pocket for whatever it's worth. Uh, cocktail parties are always great to spit out, hey, yay, did you guys know what malted barley is? So, uh, yeah, it's real fun at parties, believe me when I tell you that. Um, so anyway, let's, uh, let's, let's do a little uh, learning this morning about further what it, what it means to be whiskey and what it takes to make whiskey and what some of the terms in whiskey manufacturing and whiskey enjoyment uh, mean. All right, let's do it. Looks like it's going to be another deep dive. All right, so what are we talking about here? We're talking about whiskey and how it's made, and I'm not going to get too long-winded about this. What I want to do is just provide you with a couple more terms um, and a couple more uh, definitions here that as a whiskey drinker or as someone that enjoys, um, you know, learning about spirits and and talking about it, this will give you a couple more uh, little items for your lexicon um, so that uh, you're further informed. So when we're talking about whiskey, whiskey has to be made out of grain. That is one of the definitions of whiskey. It has to be grain-based. can't be made out of grapes and called whiskey. It can't be made out of apples. To be called whiskey, it has to be grain-based. What are the grains that are used to make whiskey? Well, we know that bourbon has to be 51% corn. There's also oftentimes wheat used, rye, barley, and also rice. Those are really the top five uh, uh, grains that you use to make whiskey. 
You can use any grain, though, to make whiskey. I mean, you could use mullet. There are uh, a million different grains out there um, of varying uh, efficacy that you could use to make grain. And when I say efficacy, what, what you want is you want starch that's able to be converted into sugars. And so certain grains have more sugary starches than others. And so you're going to have a higher rate of success using the top five, which are, you know, arguably the most sugary grains um, versus some of the other ones that you, you're going to find out there. So that's, those are the, that's the grains in whiskey. Grain has to be, uh, whiskey has to be grain-based. And, um, and so those are primarily the ones that are used. Malt. Malt is another term that you hear thrown around a lot of times when we're talking about whiskey. And we've discussed this on the show, but I just want to go back to it. What does malt mean? Malt is when you take a grain and you you germinate it so it starts to sprout. Imagine one of those science uh, experiments you did as a kid or as, if you've got kids where you take a seed and you put it um, between two wet paper towels and it starts to sprout and you see the little uh, seedling start to, to form and the roots start to come out. That is germination. If you take a seed and you germinate it and then you arrest the germination, meaning you uh, you subject it to heat or something that stops the growth um, in that state, then what you have there is a malted grain. It has been germinated, it has sprouted, and then the, the, the growth has been arrested, and so now you have a malted grain. So if you take any grain, again, any of the five that I mentioned or any grains out there, and you do that process to them, uh, that is a malted grain. Now, when we're talking about whiskey and you hear the term single malt, uh, malt thrown around, generally what people are talking about when they say malt, when they're discussing whiskey, um, pretty much 100% of the time is uh, barley, malted barley. And barley you'll hear referred to in uh, rows. There's two row, four row, six row barley. Okay, and I'm going to try not to get too in the weeds here, if you will, in the barley. But when we're talking about barley, it's going to get a little more complicated because barley is a very important part of the overall uh, distilling process. Why is that? Well, we're talking about barley. First, let's define two row, four row, six row. What is the difference with that? That's That has to do with the way that the kernels are uh, situated uh, and the way that they're viewed when you look down the axis of the barley. It's really not a big deal as far as the view goes. Where the difference comes in is the higher the number, the more enzyme is in the barley. And what that enzyme is, is an alpha amylase enzyme. Why is that important? What alpha amylase does is it converts starch into sugar. So to make alcohol, you know, we know you eat yeast, eats sugar, and makes alcohol out of it. Yeast can't digest starch, so the starch has to be converted into sugar before the yeast can do its thing. Alpha amylase enzyme does that. So the reason that, um, so let's talk about bourbon. Bourbon is a 51% uh, corn mash bill. The rest of it generally is barley, or or at least some percentage of barley, yeast, uh, I mean, sorry, barley, uh wheat or whatever grain you're, you have in there, but the barley has to be in there because you need the alpha amylase to convert the starch into sugars that the, that the yeast can access. So that is why you have malted barley 
in your mash bill is because the malting process creates the amylase that you're getting that's that's doing the conversion. Okay, so the higher the row, we're talking six row versus two row, um, there's more amylase enzyme. So um, to kind of belabor the subject, brewer uh, beer brewers use two row barley because they're really just after uh, the flavor um, of the barley uh, a lot more than they're after the enzyme. Whereas distillers are after the enzyme, so brewer barley, a brewer malt barley, is generally a two row, and distillers use a six row, uh, at least a four row. But the higher, the better. All right, so that's that's kind of the thing about barley, malted barley means that it's, you know, been sprouted and the sprout has been halted and that is what malt is. The malt creates alpha amylase enzyme, which is necessary in the entire process to break the starches down into sugars. Okay. Now, single malt, when you hear that term, scotch, a lot of times is referred to as single malt. Single malt means that the entire mash bill is malted barley. So when you hear a single malt, one of these great scotches, single malt is 100% a malted barley mash bill. And so that's what that means. So um, in the overall story of the thing, barley is a very, very important part of the process and uh, plays a big uh, scientific role in the overall uh, fermentation process. Arguably, uh, you couldn't really do it without um, the barley, because you, you need the alpha amylase. Now, in modern distillation, obviously laboratories have isolated alpha amylase enzymes, so you can buy a bottle of powdered amylase enzyme, and you could use that in your ferment. You, you pitch that in. And in fact, a lot of distilleries um, use the barley, plus they'll, they'll also add amylase enzyme to really get as much conversion as they can. They You're, you're really after... Uh, all of the sugar you can get out of the grain because all of the that sugar converts to alcohol. So the more alcohol you get, the more you can sell, the better for the distillery. Um, so the more you can convert the starch into sugars, the better. So you will find a lot of modern distillers using uh, extra amylase in their fermentation process to... Um, to extract as much sugar as they possibly can. So in modern distillation, you could get away without using the barley. Uh, you just use isolated alpha amylase, but um, in, in the olden days, you, you absolutely would have had to have the malted barley in the process, uh, or you wouldn't uh, have gotten hardly any conversion. Uh, so that is barley. Uh, let's in malting. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the. Let's run through a couple real quick terms here in in the uh, fermentation and distillation process. So we know what malt is. We know what malting is. Mash is a term you hear. Mash bill. What's the mash? The mash is the recipe that you're using for uh, what you're gonna ferment and then distill later. Literally. It's the recipe. So the mash bill for bourbon is 51% corn and then, you know, whatever other percentage of the other grains that you want in there, uh, making sure you also have your barley in there. So that's what, what, that's what a mash is. Your mash is, is literally your recipe for your whiskey. Um, 
Another word that I've thrown around a lot on the show uh, that might have uh, wrinkled some foreheads a little bit is the word congeners. What are congeners? Congeners are chemical compounds including aldehydes, esters, and acids that contribute to whiskey's flavor. Where do congeners come from? Um, they come during the fermentation process, and the yeast is a big contributor to to uh, to the congener level in in your ferment. So that being said, um, different yeasts create different congeners at different levels. So yeast is another big part of the overall process. Uh, yeast is doing a lot of work here. It's converting the sugars into alcohol, but it's also contributing congeners, which are uh, contributing to the overall flavor of the final product. So the yeast you use in the fermentation process is definitely affecting the final product uh, flavor-wise and in and, and its flavor profile. So um, people experiment with all sorts of different yeasts. In fact, because mash bills are so similar, especially when we're talking about something like bourbon, where the, the, the recipe for bourbon is can be so similar, once it's 51% corn, you, you don't have a whole lot of wiggle room in there. So a, a big... Uh, thing that the big distillers or, or most distillers tout that makes their product different than other people's product is that the yeast that they use and that is a very very you know uh, highly protected secret by most distillers is what the yeast is specifically that they use you'll hear a lot of distillers very cavalier about what their mash bill is because mash bills like i say they, they can't vary that too awfully much unless you're using you know really out there grain blue corn or some heirloom corns or whatever but generally mash bills aren't going to vary that much but what can vary is is the yeast that is used in the in the fermentation process um, the big distilleries and back in the day before labs were you know whipping out yeasts and and shipping them out to you uh most of the big distilleries had their own department that handled and created their own yeast they were literally pulling the yeast out of the air uh, like you're making sourdough, you have a sponge out there and, and you're catching the yeast and then they were propagating it and using the, the yeast to to uh, ferment um, their mash, which contributed to the terroir. You're using local yeast um, and uh, you're, you're using it to, to create your product. And that was, a, I think, a very interesting part of the story Um and I think that the the old the the grandfathers and the the forefathers of of the distilling industry realized that creating the, their own yeast and controlling yeast in house, vertically integrating the entire process essentially, um, made their product that much more theirs and uh, and and different from everybody else's. Again, in, in, today in modern distillation, there's labs out there that are creating yeast strains. Um, and since everybody is generally going for the highest rate of conversion because you, you want to get as much alcohol out of your ferment as you can because every drop is, is money, uh, everybody's going after these proprietary yeasts um, that have, you know, similar congeners and, and similar flavor profiles. And so you see a lot of modern distilleries, craft distilleries, everyone's using very similar yeasts. Um, it's, it's hard to keep a department going, uh, for the, the small, you know, let's say right here in house, 
we aren't planning on on creating our own yeast at least right off the bat um you know you have to have like a, a lab and a clean room and an area that's essentially designated uh just for yeast cultivation and propagation and uh, we just don't have the space or the the scientists on deck right now to, to manage that. Um, but I think it is something that, you know, eventually maybe in the future we'd like to, to pursue because I, I truly believe that it, it further um, helps you create an uh, individual recognizable product. Um, we are going to strive to find uh, yeasts that we can get on a regular basis, you know, that aren't difficult to, to acquire, but that are maybe slightly different than some of the other yeasts out there that, um, you know, are kind of the across the board generic stuff. Uh, maybe uh, do a little experimentation. Um, for instance, you know, there are yeasts that that work better with with different grains um, or with different uh, sugars in general. So there's yeast that work better uh, from sugars derived from fruit, you know, like a, a brandy yeast versus a whiskey yeast, which works better from, uh, you know, converting sugars derived from from grains. But that, that being said, we might find some interesting interplay there using a yeast maybe that works better with apples. I'm just throwing out some, you know, uh, for instances, we, we might toy with using a yeast that isn't specifically for whiskey and then seeing if it maybe creates some interesting flavor profiles, i.e. congeners, uh, in our ferment. So that's what we're planning on doing here. Um, again, not to beat the the subject into the ground. Um, so that's, that's it a little bit on, on the terms um, that I wanted to cover, f fermentation and kind of the... Um, the 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 pre-process, you know, or or, or uh, before distillation. Now, what I want to talk about is the process after distillation. We're going to call it maturation, while the alcohol is being allowed to mature. Now, this is primarily only done with um, with alcohols that are brown, that are aged in wood. Uh, those are the ones that require the maturation. Clear alcohol, like uh, vodka, for instance, you can literally serve that right out of the still. Um, it is what it is as soon as it comes out of the still. Now, there are people that are experimenting with resting vodka on oak and all sorts of stuff, but truly, vodka, by definition, can be served as soon as it comes out of the still. Most, uh, all, let's say, all clear spirits, unless they, um, again, have rested on, or something in their definition but gin vodka clear rum clear tequila all of that stuff can be consumed as soon as it comes out of the still it is what it is uh, in its final uh, kind of state as soon as it comes out of the still brown alcohols require age and they're getting all of that color we've, we've kind of i know we've, we've beaten this one to death all of the color in brown alcohol comes from the wood and and the maturation process so it, it's a very very uh, arguably the most important part in creating whiskeys um and I said the percentages again, oftentimes it's said that up to 80% of the flavor profile and 100% of the color comes from the process of it aging in the barrel, maturation. What size barrels? Well, generally 53-gallon uh, barrels are what are used in uh, bourbon industry, and they are American 
white oak barrels are used in the bourbon industry and they have to be used only one time. And again, something that we've 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 covered here. Some interesting numbers. 53 gallon barrel, that is a 200 liter barrel. In a 53 gallon barrel, there are 267 bottles. And when I say bottles in the United States, the standard fill is 750 milliliters. So, in a 53 gallon barrel, there's 267 bottles. An empty barrel weighs 110 pounds, and a full barrel weighs 500 pounds. Somebody that makes barrels is called a cooper, and where barrels are made is called a cooperage. And uh, some and some of the, the different oaks. Why do you use oak? Well, because oak isn't a porous wood. It actually is can be made watertight not all woods can be made watertight again these are all things that we've covered in in past episodes and if you uh have, have you know been a listener throughout the the process um i appreciate it thank you and, and you probably already know a lot of the, this stuff if you're a new listener please go back and and find some of those previous episodes um there's a ton of of knowledge in there uh this is something uh that is a, a bit of a passion of mine and something i've been pursuing you know very diligently over the last you know five six seven years so um you know it, it, the stuff is there the the episodes are there and and please do go back and uh, and enjoy the content we have created for you but uh so oak it's used because it is uh able to be made watertight what kinds of oak are generally used in um well here firstly so getting back to the point not all wood can be made watertight and some wood's poisonous you don't want to use uh eucalyptus for instance it's gonna it's it's probably you know gonna put sap and all sorts of weird flavors and stuff in there so oak doesn't oak doesn't have any weird off-putting flavors in fact the flavor that comes from oak is great so that's why you use it 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 can be made watertight it tastes good it's not poisonous and there are a lot of different kinds of oak out there in the united states we use white oak primarily it has to be white oak to be called bourbon um so we use white oak here the it's made in the united states sorry it grows in the United States, and it's, uh, let's see, what do we got here? Uh, the genus species is Quercus alba, and the typical flavors are uh, vanilla, caramel, baking spices, and coconut, all things that we talk about when we when we talk about bourbon. In Japan, they have a kind of oak called Mizunara oak, and it is a highly sought-after, very expensive oak. Um, a lot of the Japanese whiskeys will start in used bourbon barrels and then be finished in Mizunara oak barrels. Its genus species is Quercus mongolica. It's also referred to as Mongolian oak, origin Japan, and its typical flavors are oriental incense with sandalwood spice and coconut. So you can imagine that those are some great uh, additions to the, the general flavor profile of, of a whiskey. Um, there's also a uh, oak called Oregon oak or Gary oak from the Northwest and in Canada that is used, and it has flavors of dark, rich molasses, heavy cloves, and barbecue. That one is Quercus gariana. 
is the genus species. European oak. So the two big ones that are used primarily in whiskey manufacturing are white American oak and European oak. Those are the two big ones. The the Mizunura, the Oregon oak, there's a lot of like um, very expensive oaks that wouldn't be necessarily uh, cost uh, effective to use as your primary oak. But as a finishing barrel, um, some of the other oaks and alternative woods uh, – are used and 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 it doesn't always have to be oak. Some of the Japanese whiskeys are, are finished in cedar, um, which is you know if you've ever smelled cedar, you know it, it. There's a lot going on there, so a little bit goes a long way. European oak, Quercus rober, is obviously from Europe. Um, the the flavors that come from it are dried fruits, spiciness, and zesty orange citrus. And and there's another European oak called Cecile oak or limousine or uh, oak, which is Quercus petria, and it is from Europe, um, France primarily, and uh, the flavors that come from it are dry with prominent tannins and spice plus softer vanilla and fruits. Okay, so there's a lot of flavor possible uh, in in varying your oak. There are uh, endless amounts of ways to do it. You, you, you know, uh, you use bourbon barrels, used bourbon barrels, um, and then you can use whatever kind of oak barrel you want. You can vary your staves. You imagine what a stave is, are the actual slats that a barrel consists of. Imagine if every other slat was a varying kind of oak. One was American oak, one was European oak, one was, you know, uh, Mizanura. I mean, you could go crazy depending on how much you want to spend on your barrels. But barrels, especially in the modern world, are extremely customizable. You can have them made of whatever you want and vary the slats, and, and um, they'll do all sorts of customized things on the inside, put little bevels, you know, every millimeter to create more surface area, um, vary the char and toast levels, um, which are something else I want to talk about. What What is char? Char is on the inside of a barrel, they burn it. Um, and there are different uh, stories about why that happened. Um, if it was accidental or what exactly uh, they did that for. But it definitely um, imparts further flavor. And um, there's also some scientific stuff that happens with the, uh, the charcoal and uh, the way that it... Um, uh, actually extracts some of the off flavors that are left after, after fermentation. The the charcoal reacts with that and 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 mellows um, some of those off putting flavors. So uh, again, maybe perhaps a half happy accident. There's stories that you know, guy left his barrels in his barn and they they charred and he decided to use them anyway and blah blah blah. However, it came to be um, the char is a is an important factor. Um, and has to be done, once again, in order to call the product, the final product, uh, bourbon. Um, it is done across the whiskey industry. All, all the barrels are charred. Um, but you can do it to different varying levels. Again, going back to customization, you can, you know, char levels range from one all the way to, to level four. Four is referred to as alligator char. Basically, it's the highest level of char you can achieve before you basically burn through your, your staves. Um, it, it's called alligator char because it's, it's so burned and cracked that it, it resembles the... Uh, the back of an alligator, alligator scales or skin, whatever you want to call it. I'm not really a alligatorotologist, but um, 
that's 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 what that is. The char level one through four, uh, four being uh, alligator char, and you you will hear that term, um, you know, when you're when you're talking about whiskey, uh, you hear it a lot in the Scotch industry. So uh, that that's that. Um, some of the other terms that that. Uh, we, we, you know, I want to talk about when we're talking about maturation or, or finishing. So uh, finishing is uh, something that is done um, across the whiskey industry. And, and what that is, is, um, again, going through the proprietary stuff of, of how people are maturing their, their whiskey. Generally, uh, they're putting it in a 53-gallon barrel and letting it sit for at least two, more like four years. Um and then sometimes they'll finish it, which means they'll take it out of that barrel and they'll put it in another barrel uh, to finish it. And they'll finish it for, for varying, you know, another year or two years uh, to add different flavor profiles. I mean, there's and there's many ways you can do that. You could, again, start in a white American oak barrel, finish it in a French oak barrel. Makers 46, for instance, uh does their regular process. They make Maker's Mark, start it and age it in a, a white American oak barrel. And then for the last two years, they shove a bunch of French oak staves down in the barrel and, and let it rest on the French oak um, to impart those flavors. So you, you can there's a, there's many different ways that you can do, uh, can do the finishing process. You can transfer it into a brand new barrel. You can shove a bunch of other wood in there and let it finish on it. Um, and so... Uh, that that's the what the what the finishing process entails. It's after all of the maturation has occurred. It's what you do there at the very end uh, to sneak those last little f- bits of flavor component in there. Um, so that is finishing. Okay, one of the last terms I want to cover here, maybe the last term. Uh, I, I think I got two more here. Is for the Scotch drinkers out there. Now, if you've listened to the show, you know that I'm not a huge. A fan of scotch uh, or Irish whiskey, and one of the reasons that I don't like it is um, because of the smoky flavor. Um, a lot of people refer to that as a peaty flavor. What is a peated uh, single malt or a peated scotch? What is peat? Peat is, uh, for lack of a better term, bog grass. It's old bog grass, and uh, it grows in layers. Each generation of peat grows on top of the the last generation, so there's all this compressed bog grass that that occurs um, all over uh, Scotland and and Ireland, and you, you cut it, you take it, you bundle it, and you dry it out. It makes great fuel. It burns for a long time. It burns very hot. So peat is a fuel that they were using a lot over there, and it it creates a a very kind of acrid smoke with a a very distinct smell, and they were using this peat and burning it in the process of malting. They're malting their barley, and then they were using the heat to arrest the... uh, the ferment, or sorry, to arrest the germination, as we were talking about earlier, and the the heat that they were using to arrest that germination was generated by burning peat. So then the smoke would get into the barley, and that smoked barley imparted its flavor into the final product, and that's where you get that smoky peaty flavor in Scotch. There's a term called phenol parts per million. PPM, and that is something that you, a lot of Scotch drinkers talk about, and it is a measure of peat smoke applied to barley during the malty uh, during the malting process. It's the measure parts per million of smoke 
in different scotches. And so scotches are talked about in their PPMs. The stuff on the very high level is stuff like the Laphroaig, that literally to me tastes like licking an ashtray, to the, the lower kind of more palatable scotches that are a little less peaty and a little less smoky. Um, but if you're a scotch drinker, uh, likelihood is that you like that flavor, that you like smokiness and you like peatiness. That's what draws a lot of people uh, to scotch um, uh, and away from bourbon and, and other whiskeys that don't have that smoky flavor. Um, in mezcal, you're going to get a smoky flavor. Uh, and I always uh, kind of say that if, if you like uh, scotch, then you'll probably like mezcal more than tequila. If you like bourbon, then you're probably going to like tequila more than mezcal. People that like that smoky flavor tend to stick to those flavor profiles. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. All right? That's going to do it for kind of like the the distilling lesson of the show. Um, like I said, this is this has been a passion of mine at this point for damn near a decade. And uh, so there's a lot going on up there, and, and I like to share it. Uh, I hope you like to receive it. So that being said, if you've got any other questions about it, like I, I do know a little bit about this topic – please reach out to the show. You can go to the website, websworldwide.com, and uh, and reach us there. Or you can go to Facebook or The Gram and look for the Jeremy Webisodes podcast and, and ask away. Uh, if I don't know the, the answer off the top of my head, um, then I would be uh, very happy to find out the answer for you because uh, you learn, I learn. So it's win-win. Uh, okay. Short and sweet this week. I was hoping that we were going to get a chance to come back and talk a little bit about food, but I'm going to have to uh, push that to next week. Um, so this is all you get this week. I was all alone. Uh, I hope I didn't bore you. I hope you got you, you learned a little something and were able to enjoy it. And we look forward to seeing you right here next week on the Jeremy Webisodes Podcast.